Welcome to the Food Intelligence Podcast presented by TasteWise. My name is Ron, and today we're going back to basics. We're reviewing trends. Uh, we're taking a look at the uh, top three trends or uh, three of the strongest trends in the fall of 2021. Um, joining me, as always, is Miriam. So uh, without further ado, let's get into the episode. Miriam, you're back. You're back I'm on back. the pod. Back on the pod. My happy place. <laughs> All right. So uh, we are talking today about the, uh, is it the three strongest trends that uh, you've been uh, tracking uh, throughout the um, throughout the fall season in 2021? Yeah, exactly. Well said. Yeah. And these are trends that reflect um, consumer motivations throughout the course of 2021. So I think it's really, fall is always a really interesting season to look at trends. So this is definitely, uh, definitely valuable. So can you set the stage by just quickly explaining when I use the word trend right now, are you specifically talking about uh, the trending consumer motivations? Or are you talking more specifically about uh, the the trend itself, like the result, you know, the the ingredient or dish that is trending? Great question. Um, so I want to talk about motivations today. Uh, maybe we can touch a little bit on the, the actual trending ingredients within those motivations. But um, we've talked a lot on previous episodes for longtime listeners um, about the role of consumer motivations within trends and how tracking um, you know, the, the dishes or ingredients is really, really important. But understanding what underpins them uh, from a motivations perspective is uh, really valuable as well, and perhaps even more so. Um, so I want to take a look at the top three kind of categories of motivations for fall, uh, and then we'll we'll kind of dive into it a little bit deeper. Okay, this is interesting because we're as we're kind of gearing up uh, towards Q4 uh, of 2021, we're starting to think about our predictions for next year. Um, I find that when uh, you have to really let a good chunk of the year play out before you start getting into the data based on this year and the previous year to start making actually meaningful predictions for for next year, um, I think that the easiest thing is always to do is um, to try and get on that as early as possible. Um, because, uh, you know, as a marketer, you know, you want that SEO juice, you want, uh, you want to get on it as, as soon as possible. But, um, <laughs> yeah, that sounds gross, Trademark. but, um, <laughs> um, but, uh, but the right thing to do from a data perspective is, uh, wait until you have a chance to actually compile data from, uh, from as much of the year as possible, um, which is what we're going to try to do going into Q4 and making our predictions, uh, for 2022, uh, based on data. So it's interesting to go back, look at our own predictions from last year, see how they stack up. Uh, we'll do that, I think, more in depth on another episode, but uh, we'll we'll touch on that a little bit today. So where did you want to start? Well, I, I quickly want to respond to something you just said, because I think it's important. Um, so you're saying that at the at the end of the year, it's always good to take a look at not only the, you know, the previous year in performance for trend data, but also, you know, previous years before that. And um, so fall is a really, really interesting time, especially for 2021 because we have a good chunk of the calendar year already under our belts, right, in terms of data. Um, but 2022 is, or 2021, excuse me, is also the time where um, people have, have adjusted to corona. So a lot of the trends that we were seeing in 2020 where we weren't sure what was going to stick, we were seeing huge spikes in things like immunity, um, right? Like we, we were seeing all of this stuff going on and it was really hard to kind of peg down what exactly was going to continue where. Um, so in 2021, we saw kind of a stabilization of, of a lot of trends. Um, 
And so we're able to kind of parse out, all right, what is sticking? What's not? Why is it sticking? And what is that kind of post-corona, if we can call it that? What does that look like? Or life with corona, what does that look like? So I think this is a really interesting season to evaluate all this stuff. Yeah, amazing. Um, the main takeaway is, is probably going to be that, uh, what was the title of that article? That the pumpkin spice latte will never die. <laughs> will never die. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There are some things that are, that are evergreen and will be with us always. And pumpkin spice latte is one of those, one of those. Um, okay. So let's jump in, shall we? Let's do it. Great. So we'll start with, uh, with experiential. Uh, I should have done a drum roll, please, here at the top three, but uh, we'll start with experiential. So um, what is experiential? We just did a webinar on this actually a couple months ago. Um, so the experience of eating food and, or eating and drinking, right, of food and beverage um, isn't just about taste or about the, uh, you know, meeting hunger needs anymore for so many of us. Um, it's about the experience surrounding the, the dish or ingredient that you're consuming, right? So um, that seems like an obvious thing, but uh, so much of the industry is actually guided now by the experience around the product, whether that's in you know a marketing campaign or it's actually built into the actual product itself. Um, I think a, a really great example we gave actually in a podcast episode, I think a few episodes ago, um, is that you know box of cake mix, standard cake mix, but marketed as being this really great you know cake kit that you can make with your family, and it's this great you know work from home activity to do with the kids. Um, so we're seeing in kind of this COVID era uh, that it, the attention to experiential, whether it's through marketing or through the actual, um, you know, creation of a product itself is a really big deal. Um, so I'll actually, maybe we'll start with uh, just calling out what we predicted for last year. And again, we'll do like a whole, a whole podcast on this, but um, we predicted that purposeful cocktails um, are going to be big in 2021, which we saw was true. Um, and by purposeful cocktails, we mean cocktails that serve uh, a need beyond just the fact that you're drinking something alcoholic, right? Or not even alcoholic. We also talked about non, non-alcoholic drinks, but um, whether that's cocktail kits or, uh, you know, that that was during the time of, of Zoom happy hours, which I think we all got tired of super fast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, still, the idea was there, right? That there was, it was something... Um, that you can do with your hands, something that you can engage with uh, in the preparation. So um, we definitely saw that continue. So I'll, I'll kind of give you some of the statistics for uh, for the experiential trend. Um, and I just want to quickly note, when we're saying trend, um, we mean things that are well-established and continuing to grow significantly year over year or over the past two years, depending on the case. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. But we want things that are um, stable in penetration and things that are growing. So this is discounting the stuff that, you know, might be really interesting, but is a little bit more flash in the pan. So it's just emerging or is just starting out, right? There isn't a lot of penetration yet in the market, but we're seeing really high growth. We're not talking about that today. We're talking about the stuff that's established over the course of the year and is growing. So within experiential, uh, the top two um, penetrated and growing concepts are fun and unique. Um, which means, so fun is growing 27% year over year uh, in consumer interest. So that's looking at social conversations when people are talking about the experience of eating something or the experience of making something that it's fun and enjoyable. Um, and unique is up 20% year over year. Um, so people are looking for things that are, for lack of a better word, right, like special. I know these words sound a little bit boring and maybe a little bit obvious, but I think they're, they're actually really interesting that people are looking for things um, that are outside of their box. Um, 
we saw at the at the start of the pandemic um, back in 2020 that people were really going back to what they knew. They were going back to basics. They weren't trying things out in the kitchen because they were in kind of survival mode, right? They were making the the classic dishes that they've always made. Um, and towards, you know, as we were several months of the pandemic, we saw that expand. We saw that people were really interested in trying new things. Um, and we've seen that that trend is definitely here to stay and will definitely continue uh, throughout the next year. Um, I also wanted to note for us that traditional, um, less growth, but still really well penetrated. We're seeing 5% growth year over year. So people interested in, in playing with traditional recipes, whether it's with a, a twist or kind of the traditional version. Um, and my favorite one for this category is birthdays are back. <laughs> people are talking about, um, about eating and drinking on birthdays. We're seeing a 40% year over year growth, um, which is significant. So people are, are putting that attention back into celebrating birthdays with friends um, and they're making dishes and drinks to complement that experience. Yeah, that's really amazing. And, and to tie it uh, back into um, why is any of this important? Like, why is it important mm -hmm. to, to call out these, both the, the motivations as we always talk about, but uh, also the specific trends that people are, are talking about. Um, so I think it's, uh, it's important to understand a few things. First, the trend itself from the perspective of the ingredient dish or diet uh, that, uh, that, uh, that makes the trend itself, that is always going to be the market's response to a deeper consumer need. Yeah. Uh, like we said, recreating past experiences, uh, looking for something that is fun and unique, uh, looking for something that uh, is more purposeful or looking for an experience as you're eating and drinking. And then of course you have all these specific examples like making a cake with your kids uh, at home or um, making a cocktail that uh, is a, a bit fancier that maybe you can share on social media. Um, the At the end of the day, um, there is a really exciting moment right now that is very unique to the food and beverage industry. And we were just talking about this a little bit before we started uh, recording. Um, and that moment is the alignment of the right business decision with the right decision from a sustainability perspective. Mm. Um, we were talking about this because we were joking about, you know, startups uh, trying to make the world a better place. But uh, specifically in food and beverage, um, I think that one of the things that I get most excited about working in this space coming from, uh, from different spaces, like we, we talk about like cybersecurity or, or finance, um, where there is a moment in history, a moment in time right now where from a business perspective, you need to be listening to the consumer. You need to be yeah. uh, tailoring your messaging and your product development very specifically to what they want right now, whether that is um, alternative proteins or whether that is a focus on climate change and a focus on wellness and sustainability or uh, focusing on the experience that, uh, that they want to have. Um, and from that is from a business perspective. And also you find that more and more and increasingly uh, that will align with, uh, with the sustainability goals that currently every major corporation in the food and beverage industry has in uh, terms of reducing their, uh, their footprint from uh, you know, their like carbon emissions and, and climate change uh, perspective or creating less waste by tailoring the products very specifically to what consumers are, are looking for. Um, so your consumers have become more digital. Uh, your consumers now have needs that are rapidly changing from year to year, from month to month. And it has never been 
as important as it is right now to get closer to them, um, which is which is why you know at the end of the day, if your consumers are now concerned about uh, birthdays and uh, having a really great experience around them, then then we should all be listening. Um, exactly, and it's so relevant because I'm I'm going to. Uh, um, a birthday for one of my uh, daughter's friends on uh, on Tuesday, and uh, this was such a big part of the conversation about like how are we gonna? It's it's no longer just like hey, it's a birthday, we're gonna make a cake, right? But what is the experience that we're, we're gonna build for the kids around that cake? Right. You can uh, you can ask your your daughter's friends. Tell me, did you know that birthdays are back forty percent year over year? And see <laughs> see what she says. <laughs> and, and they will say. I am three years old. I like <laughs> Fireman Sam. <Right. laughs> that's amazing. We'll have to see if Fireman Sam is trending for birthdays. Um, that's great. And I and I love your point about, you know, quite simply what's good for the consumer is good for business and can be good for the planet. And, and we're in that aligned moment. Um, and that is the perfect segue without even meaning to, to our next uh, our next category, which is sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to note also that what you were saying about um things being good for the consumer, being good for business, and we need to listen, right? Um, that sustainability is becoming ingrained. It, it can't not, It can't be just a siloed goal that sort of exists out in, in the world and we try to achieve it, right? It, is, it has to be um, intertwined with every other element of our, of our business. And we see that so much so in consumer motivation. So we see that, for example, sustainability is intimately tied to health. Uh, personal health, right? Um, so when you're dealing, when you're creating a healthy product, you can't leave sustainability to the side, right? It has to be part and parcel of this conversation when you're building new products, and that's true also for for marketing and for um, you know certifications. Where our CEO, as I mentioned, I think in our last podcast episode, that um, our CEO alone is going to be speaking on certifications and consumer trust. Um, so there's so much here within the world of sustainability. And I think one of the big lessons for food and beverage uh, entering into the next year is that sustainability can't be um, a separate project, right? It has to be woven into every single element um, of food and beverage. Um, and that's really being emphasized by consumer tastes. So let's look at sustainability. Um, sustainability is actually up 22% uh, over the past two years. So if we're looking at this time uh, two years ago, we're seeing that it's up 22%. The reason that I am looking at uh, two year over year versus year over year numbers is because some motivations, um, and this is true for sustainability and health, uh, but d- in different ways, uh, they both changed significantly during the beginning of COVID, which kind of messed with the numbers a little bit for year over year. So if you were just to look at the scope of year over year, you might say, okay, this isn't interesting to consumers at all. Right. But if you look at a wider time frame, which is really important when you're looking at these kind of uh, motivations, you'll see that it's actually quite a bit higher, um, than pre pandemic levels. Um, and it has stabilized at you know, at a growth rate, which is actually really significant. So, um, sustainability is up 22% year over year. Uh, the top ingredients for sustainability interest right now, just broadly, we're not looking at any specific type within, um, you know, motivation within sustainability. We're looking at sustainability broadly. Uh, the top ingredients in consumer consciousness right now uh, are fish. That makes sense, right? Fish, shellfish, seafood. And um, that's kind of a mature concept within sustainability. Um, but we're also seeing that ice cream and red wine are trending um, in their relationship to sustainability. And an emerging trend is matcha. Um, so just to kind of give you some food for thought, if, if any anybody out there is a product marketer or working on a new idea, these are concepts that are experiencing growth within sustainability. 
Um, so when you say that uh, that something is experiencing growth in relation to sustainability, so do you mean that um, those specific ingredients are, uh, that consumers are looking for uh, sustainable alternatives to these ingredients, or does that mean that these are the ingredients or dishes or diets that are, mo that are perceived to be more closely associated with sustainability? Yes, uh, the answer to both of those is yes. And um, I think it's important. Both of those are important. We could do a whole podcast episode on uh, drilling down into, you know, what is demand versus what is association or perception. Uh, mm -hmm. I want to be really clear for our listeners that um, we're not making any claims here about the actual sustainable nature of these ingredients. So I'm not saying, for example, that, you know, ice cream is sustainable or, or something like that. We're saying that consumers are associating sustainability or demanding sustainability from these categories. Um, so this is all about consumer perception. And we source this from um, consumer kind of conversations from millions and millions of people. So uh, great question, but the answer to that is yes, and, and we could explore it more in depth. Um, I want to add, so within sustainability, um, sustainability is a big concept, um, and consumers are becoming more and more savvy to uh, the actual ins and outs and the intricacies of sustainability and the actual elements that make up a sustainable product. Um, so we're seeing that habitat conservation is up 53% year over year and climate change is up 10% year over year. So both of those are increasing concepts within sustainability that are worth watching. Um, and if anyone is interested in understanding how sustainability plays out within the realm of alternative proteins um, or within the world of you know, vegan meat or plant-based eating generally, let's say, we just did an awesome report on this. Um, feel free to check out our website and download your own copy. We have a whole section in there about what sustainability means for the category within plant-based. Um, so lots of interesting stuff there. So make sure to check it out. Um, I think that uh, sustainability is an in interesting example of um, something we were just talking about uh, in the you know virtual office uh, <laughs> a little earlier today, where uh, I think it's become pretty clear at this point that data is a key ingredient in uh, any any business plan that. Uh, a company in this space is making right now um, and saying, you know, talking about sustainability can sound very obvious. It can sound like, yeah, sustainability is nothing new. Um, it has been around for, for a while. We could be saying that, you know, it's making a bit of a comeback right now because during COVID, um, yeah. personal health was prioritized over planetary health. And now uh, as we learn to live alongside um, COVID um, or, or slowly recovering from it, so sustainability is making uh, is taking center stage again, um, but uh, but the, but it's not uh, anything you know kind of it's not blowing your mind like to hear on a, on a food and beverage podcast to hear us talking about okay. sustainability. And of course, it's important to to talk about you know if consumers are looking for it, we need to be talking about it and we need to be talking about the specific trends that are answering uh, or are being uh, uh, have demand in this category right now. But another thing that I think this is a really good example for is that just data, just having the data is really no longer enough. Um, it is also about making sure that different teams within your company are able to use that data in a way that makes that team specifically more productive. So being able to filter data through the lens that makes sense for new product development, for marketing and for sales. So if you take this concept of sustainability as a whole, how do you make that more relevant to new product development, for example. Well, okay, maybe within the realm of sustainability, you're now looking for 
what new product am I developing that either it either is in need of like a sustainable version or some sort of sustainability related disruption, or am I taking an existing product and I need to alter my audience segmentation or my messaging around it to make it more sustainability focused because I can take it closer to that? Um, or which food service businesses should I be talking to? So uh, sustainability is, I think, uh, one of those trends, one of those categories that you are like walking like a dangerous line if you are ignoring it because of the oversaturation of the term uh, over the last two years. So you should still definitely be tracking it. And more specifically, the trends that are being powered by the motivation that is sustainability. Right. And I think also it's and a final important note on that is that consumers um, expect transparency. Um, we're yeah. seeing that increasingly so. And they expect, and uh, this again, it sounds obvious, but it, it, might, it might not be, um, expect honesty about these claims, right? So just claiming that something is sustainable without being able to back it up is A, unethical, but B, also consumers can kind of smell it, right? Uh, consumers are know when, yeah. when they're being dealt with in a trustworthy way. Um, so drilling down into the elements of sustainability like habitat conservation and like climate change is a really great way to um, encourage consumer trust, right? Because people are becoming more knowledgeable. And if your brand can demonstrate also that you're knowledgeable and really backing up your claims um, with these specific elements, that's that's a really great way to garner trust. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it's important to to kind of stay updated with like leaders in the industry, how are they thinking about it and how are they actually um, working towards these things? And I, I want to call out attention to um, a post by um, uh, Ramon LaGuarta, the uh, uh, chairman and CEO of uh, PepsiCo, uh, recently on LinkedIn. Um, and I just want to quickly read this off because this talks about exactly this and, and I think tells the, the right story. Um, and he says, uh, business as we know it is changing, one driven in large part by climate change and inequality, with consumers becoming more interested in the future of the planet and society. This is why today I'm proud to announce uh, the future of our company. Uh, PepsiCo Positive is a strategic end-to-end -end transformation um, with uh, sustainability at the center of how we will create growth and value operating within planetary boundaries and inspiring positive change for the planet and the people. Um, and then he goes on to talk about um, how this initiative will help them uh, be the global leader in convenient food and beverages and the leading actor in uh, the transformation of the global food system. Um, and I think that, you know, th this is exactly the sustainability story that we're talking yeah, to more kind of exactly. on like a, a corporate strategic level, less so on, a, on an individual product level. Um, but, uh, but you should always be kind of on the lookout. Okay, how are leaders in this space responding to these uh, specific trends, even with something that can be perceived as, you know, saturated like sustainability, right. which it really isn't because consumers are, are still thinking about it. Right. And to remember that you don't need the resources of, you know, somebody like PepsiCo, which is one of the biggest um, players in, in the space, right? You don't need the, the industry, you don't need that kind of resource to start making an impact and to start engaging with these issues of sustainability, right? It's for everybody. And yeah. so, and I think understanding how your consumers relate to your product and what they're looking for is, is the way to start. Yeah. I think the obvious ones are all of the, um, the milk alternatives. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Oatly, Doug Drinks, uh, all of those. We love that, Doug uh, Drinks. Shout out to Doug Drinks. 
Yeah, um, I think all of these, uh, uh, all of all of the milk alternatives, uh, both locally, you know, in in yeah. uh, different countries, and also uh, more on the global marketing campaigns that they do, um, they they tend to do a very good job because it's very easy to tie that specific product to sustainability, um, and uh, and a lot of them take a really unique kind of spin on. Um, on their marketing campaigns, um, but I think that it can be done with uh, most of the products out there uh, today. Agreed. If yeah. anyone's listening to this and wants to create a sustainable sesame milk for Miriam and Yell, the one consumer, <laughs> um, I would be definitely on board because that's something that I'm missing here uh, in my in my world. Um, okay. Amazing. There's a business opportunity here. <laughs> business People, opportunity get on it. right there. Yeah. Um, all right. So, let's so we talk talked about. Our- about we talked about experiential. We talked about uh, sustainability. Uh, what's our third one? Yep. So the third one is health. Um, so health, as you said before, it's not you know blowing anybody's socks off that we're talking about health on a food and beverage podcast as a trend. Uh, but I want to get into the kind of nitty gritty. So um, health itself, while penetrated, that's been true well before we came along with this information. Um, but I do want to point out that gut health specifically, and that's what I want to talk about today. Gut health is up 38% over the past two years. Um, so again, this is one of those, uh, moments where we're, we're doing the two year over year data because the one year over year fell kind of right, uh, in the time of COVID where things were, were pretty wonky and, and trends were seeing spikes and decreases and, and all sorts of stuff. So we want to look at this kind of overall, um, association with gut health, um, immunity, uh, which we saw peak fairly early on in, in during COVID and which we, um, I think back when we created our 2021 list, we were careful with immunity because we understood that perhaps it was um, a, more of a flash in the pan trend, um, but it did speak to something where consumers want control over their health. And that's definitely um, a, you know, a trend we've seen continue. That's a really, really important consumer motivation, but immunity itself, um, was a little bit tricky and and we were right about that. So immunity is down significantly, both one year over year and two over year. Um, Mm -hmm. and it only comprises 0.19. So let's say 0.2% of consumer conversations. So a fifth of a percent, um, of consumer conversations, whereas gut health, uh, is two and a half times higher already. So, Gut health um, is better penetrated than immunity. It's growing a lot faster than immunity. It has implications for immunity, gut health, as well as lots of other things. Um, so as long as we're thinking about the kind of interde- interdependence of um, consumer motivations, right? We were just talking about sustainability and health and, and all of this stuff. Um, so gut health is one of those that has a lot of implications across consumer motivations that are really important. So um, it has implications for anxiety. It has implications for sleep. Um, and we're actually seeing that the top motivations within gut health. So when somebody's already turning to a gut health product, why are they doing it? What's most important to them? Um, we're seeing in addition to obviously the digestive stuff, we're seeing the uh, energy, weight management, muscle tone, sleep, fertility, and pain relief are all seeing positive year over year growth. Um, so understanding that consumers, again, are kind of armchair experts on health. They're wanting this control that we saw kind of spike when we saw immunity um, really growing in consumer interest, but um, that sense of control over health and using food and beverage to meet those health aims um, is really coming to a head within gut health. And it's a trend that I think we're going to see stick around for a very long time. Um, and within gut health, as I said, those things like you know fertility, pain relief, muscle tone, weight management, all that energy, that's really, really interesting. Um, and if you're you know a marketer or again, working in an R&D, uh, there's a lot here to work with, I think, um, and understanding 
specific consumer motivations within the space um, is really important. It's not enough to say, you know, this product is healthy. Um, but saying, you know, this product is great for gut health and here's why, because it does XYZ is, is really important. Yeah. Um, in a market like uh, food and beverage, and this is true for, we talk about this a lot, and um, as a marketer in really any space, it is almost always beneficial to niche down on what your audience is looking for specifically. But um, consumers in food and beverage are so overwhelmed with options for recipes and, and yeah. ways to, to prepare their food and ways to interact with their food than in, I think, more so in food and beverage than any other space. It's important to really help us as consumers, because all of us are consumers, even the ones that are making uh, this stuff, um, is to really help us make it very easy for us to find the recipe or the product that's going to meet that need, yeah. right? I'm probably not going to post on social media about like bloating issues or about like yeah. my my uh, gut health Um I think you coined the term tricky tummy. Tricky tummy. <laughs> yeah. Tricky tummy. <laughs> um, a few uh, a few episodes ago. But so I'm not gonna, I'm probably not gonna talk about that on Instagram, but I am gonna look for recipes that are gonna help me alleviate those issues, right? And the more specific I'm able to get with how um, my uh, my specific ingredient is tied to these uh, to these issues, the easier it's gonna be for me to um, to interact with that recipe. We just did an episode with the uh, CEO and co-founder of MyAir, um, which they do personalized nutrition. Uh, right now, their main vehicle for personalized nutrition is um, uh, snack bars, like these nutrition bars that uh, you sign up to uh, to an app and use your smartwatch to kind of track your, your vitals. And um, they tailor a program um, of uh, these specific nutritional bars that uh, that all, all tie to very specific motivations. And they go through the same process of using data to understand, okay, um, both, of course, the, the research itself, they're based uh, in uh, the uh, Tel Aviv University here in, uh, in Israel. Um, the research itself to which ingredients are tied to, you know, whether it is a sleep or stress relief or focus or whatever it is, the, the motivation that uh, you're lacking, um, kind of merging, um, I think, the physiological and psychological aspects of your, your nutritional profile. Um, and then, of course, using data to understand um, what is my audience currently looking for? What is the need out there uh, and gut health would be an amazing example for it. Um, because we do believe that personalized nutrition in general is a huge part of the future of food. Uh, it's gonna be front and center in, uh, in the way that we do things like a decade forward. If yeah. alternative proteins is, you know, our CEO keeps saying that um, very soon it's not going to be alternative proteins. It's just going to be proteins, right. right? Very soon it's not going to be virtual restaurants. It's going to be restaurants um, yeah. in the same vein that it's no longer color television. It's television. So nutrition uh, is the same way. It's not going to be personalized nutrition. That's just going to way. That is just the way that uh, nutritional programs are are going to work and understanding things like, okay, my consumers are concerned about gut health is just an amazing example of how you can tailor both your marketing and your NPD to, to answer that need. So we talked about experiential eating. We talked about um, sustainability. Now we talked about health with the example of, um, of gut health. Um, so 
you were tracking this stuff along uh, the fall season. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're you're confident that these are kind of the the top three like trends for uh, for the wrap up for for that season. I am, and there's there's obviously more out there, and we could go more into depth with any of these. But I think these are the the three worth watching and kind of sum up um, where twenty twenty where twenty twenty one has been. Um, and we'll do another, as we said before, episode on on where we're headed for twenty twenty one, and these will definitely play a part. But uh, we could definitely talk a lot more about about stuff out there. Awesome. So just to, to wrap us up, uh, a lot of the research that uh, that Miriam has been doing, um, and thank you for that, Miriam. Um, a lot of the research that Miriam has been doing to dig into these trends, uh, there's much of this that you can do for free. So I just want to make sure that uh, you're aware of two resources that uh, that we have. One is um, our free edition of TasteWise, which you can get access to on our website, tastewise.io. Click the Get Started button, um, and you can get access to our free edition. Um, which uh, lets you generate real-time report based on billions of data points um, on whatever trend, ingredient, dish, or category that uh, that you're interested in, for example. Including motivations like this, right? Which is really yeah. cool. Yeah, so you can look up not just like gut health, or but you can also look up sustainability. You can look up the whatever it is that is specific to your category. Um, if you do sign up, you'll get uh, a video from us of, uh, of Miriam helping uh, explain uh, how to get the most value out of it. So that is one incredible resource that I want to make sure that, uh, that you are aware of. And the second one is TasteWise Live, um, which is our weekly live show that we do every Tuesday where we explain a bit about... Um, we typically uh, go with a certain ingredient or dish or, or trend or diet, and we just do a deep dive into it. Uh, one time it was keto, another time it was fish, another time it was a very specific type of donuts that uh, someone asked us about. Um, but uh, you can treat it as just your personal research session. We typically have lots of people show up. Uh, there's a, a fun little community that popped up around these things. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's usually 25, 30 minutes. So you can feel free to sign up to that. You can find a link to that on our website as well. Um, but um, yeah, beyond that, I think that was a really great wrap up um, on net our one of our future episodes. We are going to do, we're going to go back to last year's prediction and we're going to see how they stacked yeah. up as we introduce our predictions for next year. So definitely stay tuned for that. And finally, I just want to thank the amazing team here at TasteWise that helps us make uh, the Food Intelligence Podcast happen. Um, So, uh, of course, Miriam takes care of all of the research and content that that we go through on a weekly basis, even if she's not on the episode. So that was important for, for me to, to point out. Um, the podcast is produced by Ophir Nagar on our marketing team and edited by Daniel Gal, um, uh, who is very talented and also uh, <laughs> being angry with us about our recording quality. Very patient as well. <laughs> He's very patient. He's very patient. You are. So thank you for that, Daniel. I know that, uh, that you're listening to this. Um, and uh, we promise that uh, we get better every time, bit by bit. We're trying, at least. All right, so I hope it's uh, been useful for everybody. Miriam, do you have any uh, words to send us off with? Just have a great week, everybody. Thanks for being here. All right, thank you for listening, and uh, see you in the next one.